lovely ladies, and welcome to episode number two of The Lost Art of Femininity. Today, I'm going to be talking about materialism and the death of the one-income family. So, when I was thinking about this topic, it's something that's pretty close to my heart, and I have a lot of thoughts on this that I've been kind of thinking about over the last several years. So let me start with the definition of materialism. I got this definition from, I think, Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And it says, a preoccupation with or stress upon material rather than intellectual or spiritual things. I thought that was a really good definition of materialism. And I think all of us probably would know that, like, in America, materialism just seems, like, astoundingly high right now. I think it's something that people have always struggled with in all times of history, for sure. Um, But I think there probably are certain times where, I don't know if it's because of the great abundance that we have, you can just see it more plainly, maybe, than in other times. But it's definitely something that is rampant, I believe, um, in America and probably just the Western world in general today. I was looking into it a little bit, and by what I found, it looks as if um, uh, the average size of a house uh, for like a family in 1920 was like just over a thousand square feet, and today the average is like more than doubled. Um, I believe it's like 2,600, something like that. And I think this the statistic I saw on that was like for 2014. So this is 2020. So I'm sure the number has probably gone up, but I don't really know um, for sure what that would be. A home economy. I kind of want to talk a little bit about that and kind of the idea of how the home, viewing the home as a place of industry as opposed to a place of consumption I'll start with the historical examples and then I'll kind of go into modern day to kind of compare the two. Historically speaking, most families, and obviously I'm not talking about like the really well-to-do rich people, but just like your average, uh, your average families. Historically, families had more of a, I'm going to use the term homestead. They had a homestead lifestyle like what today we would consider as like a homesteader. And what I mean by homestead is basically the idea that like everybody had a garden. Like you would grow something in your garden. And the thing is we're so in like a modern society, we're so out of touch with this whole concept. It's like so foreign to us today in our modern little bubble the concept of not having a grocery store, but actually like having a garden. And if you don't grow your food, then come fall when the crops are, you know, when you're done being able to plant and grow things, when they all die, if you didn't grow a lot in the summertime and you, and you didn't take care of it, then you would go hungry and or starve in the winter. And that's just life. 
I think a lot of people don't even really think of that anymore because we don't need to. Um, we can just, you know, in the middle of January, we can go to the store and buy lettuce and oranges and bread and just anything we could possibly want, it's there. So we don't have to garden, grow our own garden anymore. Um, historically, they preserved food for the, um, you know, for winter, like I had just said. I think it wasn't until the, like, the 1800s, that's when canning was invented. So before that, everybody, when they stored their and like preserved their food, there's different ways that they did it. There's fermenting, that's really big uh, historically, and that's used in many different countries. Um, like in Korea, you have traditional dishes such as kimchi, which is just a cabbage. Well, actually, they have different kinds of kimchi too with other vegetables, I believe. Um, but that's just a way of fermenting and adding spices to those vegetables, and then it lasts. And everybody knows sauerkraut from Germany. Um, other examples of fermented foods would be sourdough bread. So um, the sourdough starter is basically like a wild yeast it's what raises the bread, and to get the sourdough starter started, you're basically just fermenting, fermenting the flour. Other examples of fermentation might be vinegar. That's basically a form of fermentation, like to get apple cider vinegar or just different kinds. It's really used in a lot of things that we don't even really think about. So that's one way of preserving food was fermentation. Another example would be smoking and drying and curing meats that way and adding salt to it. And that definitely, um, the high level of the salt and the smoke and different things. And I don't really know exactly how, I haven't looked into those methods very, uh, very clear, very well yet. I don't know like all the exact details why those work to preserve foods, but I know that's, that's how it was done. And also drying, you know, you could dry fruit, um, you know, you get raisins that way and, and different things. And so if you didn't have your garden and you didn't preserve the foods from your garden and you didn't grow enough to preserve enough to last you all winter, then, you, you know, then you're out of luck. There isn't a grocery store to go to. Another thing historically that homes and families did was they made their own clothes and they, you know, might spin their own fiber. There was different, you know, depending um, at the time in history and where they were situated and their own family economics, like how much money they had to spend or how many, how many goods they had to trade. Depended upon a lot of these factors, obviously. Um, but many people made their own clothes. It was just kind of a common thing. Obviously, if you had more money, you could hire a seamstress or somebody else to make it for you. Um, but somebody was like hand making all those clothes. Oh, besides gardening, obviously they would have kept a lot of the people would have kept livestock. Even, even if it might have just been like, um, like a pig or two, um, things like that. I know that historically chickens, like if you go way back, um, like into like the medieval time, uh, chickens were not poor man's food. <laughs> it was actually one of the more expensive. Uh, meat to have. Now, you might have still have had chickens, perhaps for eggs. I don't know exactly the economics and the situation throughout all of history, but I do know in lots of times in history, um, obviously you could have had chickens um, and eggs and stuff. But I do know that the actual meat of the chickens um, was not something that poor folk generally ate. 
on a regular basis that was considered much more of a like a nobleman or royalty sort of food uh, in the Middle Ages at least. So it's just kind of interesting the way we even like think about food. And a lot of this goes to just our industrial food system that we have today. Um, it's just not very natural and it doesn't use any natural rhythms or anything to it. What we see today is not a good indication of like what things are like throughout all of history. Like today, the cheaper meat would be chicken and beef would be like more expensive per pound than than chicken is. And a lot of the reasons is, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to this. It's like a huge another topic really. Part of the reason is because we have cheap grain today that the government subsidizes. And so um, technically you are paying the cost much more for the food, but it's through your taxes. So that's just another topic. But back in the day, uh, and chickens do eat grains. They they do need those. So And grains were much more expensive and hard to grow before we had, um, you know, all the technology that we have today to grow the grains. So it was all done by hand mostly. And you had to like, you know, plow the field, which was very laborious work. And you had to, you know, individually plant the seeds and you had to like really, you know, watch over as it grew. And then once it finally did um, grow, then you had to go in there by hand and um, gather the wheat and cut, cut it down. And then you had to do all these different processes by hand to until you finally get to the end where you have the wheat berries, and then those get ground. So it's like this really big process. And that, since there's so much work and time involved, it's very expensive. Anyway, I feel like that was a little bit of a tangent, but I am really into um, learning about food and um, more historical, um, natural ways to get food and how it was done before and things like that. So anyway, through all this hard work of keeping livestock and growing your garden and preserving it, you know, while also making your clothes and running the household and chopping the wood to, you know, heat your fire in the winter, just like all these things. Um, that was a lot of work and, uh, you know, I, everybody in the family would have definitely contributed to it. And so your house was very industrious you produced things from your home. Today, in our modern uh, society, I want to make the argument that it's today it's based upon consumption and not production. So, um, like I was saying earlier, the houses are so much bigger today, and yet we're not producing more. In fact, we're producing far less from our homes. So we have more square footage and way less to show for it, um, not to mention the cost of the house and all that. Today, a lot of places won't let you really grow a garden, and a lot of places do not let you have, like, backyard chickens, which I find is kind of interesting because I don't believe chickens are, like, I mean, they're a little noisy, but they're not, like, really crazy noisy. And I'm not even talking about, like, a rooster. I'm just talking about chickens. And yet... Everybody can have dogs that are very loud and disruptive to the quietness of a neighborhood, but nobody even bats an eye about a dog. But like, goodness, you can't bring a chicken into your backyard because, you know, that would just, that's just crazy talk. There are definitely uh, things that might 
prevent you from being more industrious, just if you live in a random, normal, like, neighborhood in America. Um, and so that's something to keep in mind as well. Uh, most families have two cars at least. Um, if they have older children, like, who are able to drive, then many times there's at least three cars, sometimes four. But definitely, I think two is kind of the minimum for most families in America today. Even if they're pretty poor, they usually each have a car, like um, the husband and the wife. I mean, obviously part of that is because they both work, and so they both need transportation. So that's like a huge reason for it. Today, we don't really garden. We don't really preserve much as general. I'm talking. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, you, my individual listener who might be doing all these things, um, but just like in general as a society, we don't garden and we don't preserve. And a lot of times if we do garden, it's like, oh, I grew, um, you know, this one little plant. We just don't really garden as a society anymore. In fact, my grandpa, he grew up during um, the Great Depression and he grew up on a farm and he had a bunch of siblings and, you know, they all like worked and they were farm kids and all that. And he grew up on a farm, so they they grew their own their own food and preserved it and everything. And up until probably the last couple of years before he passed away, he grew his own little garden. He was like in a retirement neighborhood, so it was like his own house, but it was kind of like assisted living sort of. And he, he had a little backyard patio, and he had buckets. And in his buckets, he usually always had a couple tomato plants and his green onions. He loved, he loved his green onions. And he really, he did that. He always had that little garden up until like he wasn't able to physically do it anymore. I really think it's something that um, is built into how God designed us um, as people. The satisfaction of seeing the change of seasons, but in a really, really deep way. Because, I mean, I grew up with us having a garden. We always grew tomatoes and a few other things, but the staple crop that we always grew in our backyard was tomatoes. And we always, like many years, I have great memories of us canning salsa, the whole family, like me and my sisters and my brother and my parents. And it was like on a Saturday, usually like in August, maybe towards the end of August, perhaps. And we would just, you know, have like these tons, like tons and tons of tomatoes all over the counters. And, you know, we would scald them in the water and we would have an ice bath in the sink where we would then put the hot tomatoes into and their skins were all crackled. And so we could then peel off the skin super easily. And then we would put it in the pot and do all these different things. And we would cut onions and jalapenos and peppers and put them all in the salsa and then put them into a water bath canning system. And it was just fabulous. I have no bad memories about that except maybe like um, crying because the onions were like stinging my eyes. <laughs> but there is these changes in season when you have a garden that you don't really experience if you don't have a garden or if you don't preserve your food. And it's not like you have to have a garden and preserve your food and do everything. It's just like if you don't even do any of these things, you're I think – you're missing out on a lot in life and a lot of like you then appreciate things so much more and the fact that you grew the seed in the ground and watched the plant grow and then took the fruit from the plant 
and made stuff out of it and then had these like jars all sitting in a row at the end of the day, all that hard work pays off. It's incredibly satisfying. I, I can't think of many more things that are quite as satisfying as producing your own food. And then later on, you know, in January when you want some salsa, you go get the pecan salsa and it's homemade and it tastes amazing and you know what kind of ingredients are in it. And plus you have all the memories of spending time with your family and preserving those that you just don't get if you go to the grocery store and buy a can of salsa. Like there's nothing romantic or like nostalgic about that. And I think watching the changing of the seasons like that with food is just something that is really innate in us. And it's something that we just miss in the modern culture um, as a whole. So, you know, what is the price really of all this modern lifestyle and the, the things that I kind of mentioned? Um, uh, you know, I'm going to give it like a, an example from my own family. So I'm actually very blessed and I just realized that my situation is very different, I think, than most people my age. So um, I'm in the millennial generation. Um, I'm in my 20s right now. This is... Uh, interesting because I don't think anyone else my age, I mean, there are other people, but like as, as a society, this is not the case anymore. So my grandmother and my grandfather, right before they were married or like right after they were married, they had had a discussion and this was, this would have been, goodness, this would have been in the forties, like the late forties, I believe when they got married. My grandma and grandpa had a discussion and they said, they agreed upon the fact that since it was so important to them that my grandmother stay home and take care of the home and be a homemaker, that her husband, that my grandpa, would, if necessary, take on two jobs so that she would not have to leave the house and go to work. And they agreed upon that very early on. It was made extremely clear. And that's what happened. My grandma never actually went into the workforce. She stayed home. She was a homemaker. And um, she was like a beautiful example to my family. To me, to this day, um, she has a really big influence. And she passed away several, well, quite several years ago. And she had uh, dementia. And I didn't really know her one, I was actually old enough to really appreciate what she had, like anything in much of her life and the things that she stood for and various components like that. I was quite young um, when she was actually still mentally, you know, in good health. So I really missed opportunities uh, as a teenager or as an adult to really get to know her, which I find is quite sad now that I hear stories about her because Personality-wise, we definitely are very different, but in terms of our convictions and beliefs, I think we are very similar, which is kind of cool. So my grandma stayed home. My mother, she did uh, work as a nurse um, at some point, but by the time I was born, she was a full-time homemaker and she homeschooled me as well. Her influence on me to be a homemaker is also extremely huge because I never saw her go to work and she was always extremely busy uh, teaching us and keeping the home running and always cooking fabulous meals in the evening and uh, things like that. 
Now, besides my mom and my grandmother, this is interesting. My aunt, so my mom's sister, she also stayed at home. I don't think she actually ever worked outside the home. I'm not really sure on that, but if she did, it wasn't very much. She predominantly was a homemaker. And her daughters, um, I'm pretty sure most of them, um, so these are my cousins, um, I'm pretty sure most of them have always been homemakers once they got married. I don't know 100% for sure. Um, I mean, well, there is one who isn't, but it's a different uh, situation. But um, for the most part, most of the women have definitely been homemakers. And even if they weren't able to, they definitely had a homemaking heart. <laughs> uh, home was is very important to them. And my older sister, who is 15 years older than me, she also... Um, is a homemaker and we're pretty close friends and she um, hasn't worked outside the home either since she's been married and then there's me (laughs) and I have another sister as well and I'm definitely going to be a homemaker um, lord willing whenever I meet someone and get married but uh, so that's definitely where my heart and desire is as well surprise surprise from this podcast and um my uh, my younger sister she also definitely would be a homemaker as well so many women in my family are home are home and they're homemakers and so it's not like just my grandma was or just my mom and my grandma um but it was like my mom and my grandma and my aunts and my cousins and my sisters <laughs> that's a lot of women and they a lot of these people don't live very close to me. I don't necessarily have like super good um, relationships with them just because we're not close and uh, we do differ a lot in our age range. Um, and basically we're just not close together um, geographically. So all of these women actually had like a really big influence on my life, even though I maybe didn't even talk to them about the subject at all. Um, just the fact that they were doing it was like a silent example of – you know, of what it means to be, um, you know, a homemaker. And that's really cool. I I know I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have like all these examples of these women in my family, which brings me to the conclusion that women um, have a tremendous influence. And to see what I mean, like if you look at most people my age – now, my mother had me um, when she was 40 years old, um, and I know that's a little bit older. Most people probably have their kids um, a little bit younger than that, um, but let's just say that in most of society today, my mother, if I was like in a different, different family, <laughs> my mother would have gone to work, and there's a strong possibility that her mother would have gone to work as well depending on the generation, like how old everyone was. So like if I had a mother who had me when she was, let's just say like 25, um, and then her mother had her <laughs> um, when, you know, when she was like 20 or 25, um, that would place, you know, my fake grandmother <laughs> um, probably like in the – in her young adult years in the, I don't know, like late 50s or, or 60s maybe, um, something like that. I'm not exactly sure I got that math right, but I'm pretty sure I figured it out before. 
that would mean that for many people my age, um, depending, like I said, on the situation, there's a really big possibility that not only was their mother um, working a regular job outside of the home and not a homemaker, there's a really big possibility that even their grandmother was as well. And that's that's crazy. That means that you would have to go jump up to like the great-grandmother generation until you got to someone who most likely definitely was a homemaker. And how many people know their great-grandmother or know them very long? Not many. So the influence of that is just not much of an influence at this point. And most people don't have families that where all the women in the family, you know, are homemakers or they have a bunch of cousins who are or something. And obviously it depends on your family. You might be, that might be more your case. But just like I think an average in America today, most women are very, have at least one, probably two generations of separation between more of the traditional homemaker lifestyle and like the modern working woman um, two-income family lifestyle that is so prevalent today. And so, like I was saying before, women have, I believe, a tremendous influence on other women in their lives. Even if these other women, even if they never really even talk to them, even if they don't really know them that well, the very fact that you are at home being a homemaker speaks volumes um, about you as with your beliefs and everything and especially in today's day and age you're going to stand out like a sore thumb like very very much so i was very blessed to have a family um like mine but i do realize now that i think that is definitely um a unique situation and that's really not what most people are seeing so, you know, today women don't really know anything about homemaking. Like they're so divorced from the whole idea of it and they've never had any examples of women in their lives really doing this, like in their family. And that's just like really sad because um, I think that there is so much joy and beauty in homemaking and to not even like get to know, like to not even like really see what that would look like. Um I just think it's really sad. And so many people, um, probably because they don't really think there's another choice, they just kind of do, you know, the nine to five job, put their kids in daycare and all of that. And I think a lot of it just because they don't even think there's really another way. Like that's just what you do. And ladies, that's definitely not what you have to do. (laughs) Also, I thought I would add a side note to this. It's a little bit of a topic that I get a little bit passionate about because I've met many women in a not so great situation because of this. So what I'm talking about is, um, ladies, if you are not married yet, or if you are still like in a dating relationship, but not actually married, talk this subject through with your, um, you know, with your boyfriend or your, um, or your future boyfriend, talk this about the subject with them and really make sure they're on the exact same page as you are. And I don't just mean you talk to them and they're like, yeah, you know, that sounds like that's a good idea. Sure. Like, why not? I've talked to guys like this before and they have also been apt to change their mind 
it, depending if the like economic circumstances might get more stressed. So they might be like, oh yeah, it's fine, but you know, like if we really needed it, you'd have to go to work, something along those lines. And even if they don't say you would need to go to work, um, many of them just assume like that's what you would do anyway. Like they would assume that that's like that you that you would agree with that. So don't really assume anything, I guess. If this is like a topic that is really important to you, that you do not want to be a two-income family, that you actually do want to be a homemaker, then I can't stress this enough. Talk this through, <laughs> um, you know, with your future, with your partner or your future partner because I think this is like a really big issue if, if it's important to you. Now, if it's not that big of a deal, obviously then okay, you know, treat it as such. But if if this really is something really deep down inside that you very deeply connect with and you think it's the right thing to do, then don't compromise and don't settle. Um, it can be tempting to settle. Um, I've been there and let me tell you, it's not worth it. It won't be worth it. It's I coming from someone who is single and and I've wanted to be married very, very much since I was like about 18 years old. I mean, I wanted to be married. I knew I wanted to be married like when I was younger than that, but like um when I was 18, I was like, okay, I'm ready. You know, anytime now. And so I coming from someone who's really wanted to get married and who really wants to have children and I want to homeschool, and I want to have like a little farmhouse. There's a lot of things that I want that I think are really important and beautiful things that I want in my life that I don't have right now. And I've had um, times in my life where it was probably a possibility that I could have settled. From this perspective, don't don't settle because it's not worth it. And if it's something this important to you, it's not just going to go away. It's going to keep popping up. And um, this is kind of what makes me sad because there are um, – there's a lot of Christian guys out there. And I, and I do think they are – they don't have like evil, malicious intent in this at all. But there are many Christian men out there. I've heard the stories of a lot of these women before. A lot of times the women, maybe they didn't know a whole lot about um, homemaking and this whole lifestyle. Maybe their mothers didn't do it or they just didn't really know about it. Or maybe they didn't think it was that important, but then they had a baby and then they were like, they realized like the light bulb clicked and then they suddenly realized like what they really wanted to do, that they wanted to be home. They didn't want to send the baby to a daycare, that they wanted to be there for um, their kids and that they wanted to be a homemaker. And... In a lot of these situations, their husband says, basically, we can't afford that, honey. And so these women, um, they want to be good wives. They want to be um, biblically based. And so um, biblically, we are to submit um, to our husbands. And so therefore, they do submit to them and they go, you know, and they go get a job of some sort. And I've heard this story over and over again. So it's not just, I don't think this is something that like just rarely happens. I think this is actually um, a pretty big thing that's like happening right now. And ladies, if you, like I said, if um, you're still single, don't settle because 
if this is so important to you now, believe me, once you have a baby, if that's what you're wanting, then I guarantee you it's going to be so much worse if um, you have to go to work and if you don't want to. Obviously, other women like that whole lifestyle and this is not too, this is not any way to look down on them or anything like that. Um, I think women um, and their, you know, women and their husbands are, should definitely be able to talk these things through and decide what's best for their family and everything like that. Obviously, this podcast is intended for women um, who are really interested in the homemaking lifestyle. So ladies, if this is something that is very important to you, don't settle because it's definitely not worth it. Um, and like I said, that's something that is hard for me because there have been times I've been very tempted. I was like, you know, the different situations. And but at the end of the day, you know, I didn't settle. So you don't do that either. And I think with that, I will end this podcast. If you guys had any questions about it or um, anything like that, you can definitely contact me. Um, one way, definitely a good way to contact me is through my Instagram page. And that is um, The Lost Art of Femininity. And that's through Instagram. You can find me there and message me. That's probably like the best way to get a hold of me. And yeah, so anyway... I will probably end this here and I'm super excited about this podcast. Um, I can't believe that I'm already doing the second episode, which I know isn't very much <laughs> and most podcasts die, you know, like by like the 10th episode or something like that. But I have so many ideas. I feel like this podcast could go on like forever and ever. So anyway, ladies, I will see you next time. Mm -hmm.